We're going to get into disciple shift today. Take out your notes and turn with me to two passages of Scripture, Acts chapter 11 and then Matthew chapter 4. Put your finger at Matthew chapter 4 and go to Acts chapter 11 first. Although it's going to seem like you shouldn't even go to Acts chapter 11 when you see how little of Acts chapter 11 we're going to look at. (laughs) But I do want you to go there just so that you get used to finding your way around the Bible. The title of this message is, Christian is... As disciple does. You saw this video that we just played uh, about stick shift driving. The first two cars that I ever owned were stick shifts. Now, I, I think that this is true, and you can tell me if you agree, but I don't think you're driving unless you're driving stick. <laughs> My first two cars were stick shifts. Stick shifts actually take a brain to operate. <laughs> Do you ever notice you got to use all four of your limbs to drive a stick shift? You got to use your right foot and your left foot, and your right hand and your left hand. Then my third car was an automatic, and I never realized how lazy you could become until I drove an automatic car. You know what I'm down to? Like an automatic car, you don't need both feet, you need one foot. You don't need both hands, even though technically they teach you to use both hands. We all know you don't use both hands. I've gotten so lazy that I'm down to my first two toes <laughs> and my thumb. I don't even lift my elbow. This, this I don't do. I just rest my arm on my lap and just kind of, that's my driving. That's how lazy I have become. It's great because I can text at the same time, and it's very, very helpful. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Don't, don't go calling a cop on me now. When it comes to the Christian faith, I think that there are a lot of people that you started off as a stick shift and you slid into automatic mode. And what I mean by that is that you were engaged, you were excited to be involved in growing as a Christian. And everybody is kind of like that when you first come to Christ. And everybody is kind of like that when you first start going to a church that you love and you get involved and you get engaged. But then something happens. And it doesn't even happen intentionally. It just kind of, we just kind of slide into automatic. And then we start taking our hands off the wheel, and we start settling for doing a lot less, and we get comfortable there. And then before we know, we're like me, lazy driver, and we're down to two toes and a thumb, and we're just kind of cruising through, and we're texting at the same time, and we're doing stuff that does not engage us in Christ. Well, that's the theme that I want to go in with with this part one of discipleship, that it's time to get back into gear. It's time to get back into gear, to 
mentally arm yourself that this is a huge deal. Following Jesus is a big deal. Following Jesus is the biggest adventure of your entire life. Following Jesus should wake you up in the morning and say, amen, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm excited that God loves me and has a plan for my life. And I want you to get back to that. For those of you who are there, stay there. But for those of you who are not, this is, this is going to be a challenge, a call to everybody in our church. Let's get engaged. Let's shift gears. And, and some of you, you might be in first gear, and that's fine. You stay in first gear. But if you stay in first gear for too long, you're not going to experience the true blessings we have in Christ. And some of you are in second gear, and you, you took the big step to get the second gear. But now third gear is calling on you in this series. And some of you are in fifth gear or whatever. But I'm asking you, there's never an end, by the way, to the gears in Christ. They just keep going. The Bible says he leads us from one level of glory to the next. And that's what we're doing here at this church. So I, I feel that this is appropriate for our church for one specific reason. And that's, that's the number we're going to put up on the screen here for you. It's the number 25%. 25%. What does this number mean? So some of you are like, what's that all about? What does that mean? 25% of what? Some of you are like, that's how much, mon how much money I go uh, and spend at Dunkin' Donuts. 25% of my income right there. 25% for our church is the number of you that are in small group. 25% of you. Now, let me be clear. I love the fact that you come here and you listen to me. <laughs> but I would much rather you listen to me and then engage in relationship in small group. And I think that this is very important. I think it's so important. We kind of we come to church. We hear the pastor say it. We think, yeah, we should do that. Yeah, amen. Then we walk out the door. We forget what he said. So we just got to put it like a graphic because then we got to kind of show it like in, in graphical terms here for you. Um. <laughs> I'll let that settle in there for you right there. 25% of you are engaged, but look at, look at how many of you, 75%, are clearly not listening to the messages because we talk about them all the time. Almost every chance I get, I'm talking about the Bible, I'm saying, and small group. And we're talking about tithing. And the reason why you kind of tithe is because it's a small group, you know. I'll, I'll tithe whatever I can in a small group now because I believe, listen, listen, listen. God has changed my heart over the last three years. And I used to think that it was all right for you to come and just listen to me and, and, and hear the Bible. And you should. But God's really dealt with me. And, and I think that a healthy church, a growing church, a church where people's lives are being truly changed, there's a church where people are getting together in small group. And they're learning how to navigate this Christian life together. And, 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 and if you're not yet engaged in a small group, well, this is, this is your chance. We're going to take a look at this number again by the end of this series. We're going to take another survey by the end of this series. We want to put another number up. Amen, somebody? And just in case you wonder, we want the number to go up, <laughs> not down. All right. So that's the reason for this series. Let's go to Acts chapter 11. And again, I said we're going to only look at a small portion of this passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 11. We're actually going to only look at one sentence. We're not even looking at the whole verse. But let's look at verse 25, back up a little, get it in context. 
Verse 25 of Acts 11, it says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul we know as Paul. In most Bibles, he's called Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And this is the sentence I want us to look at. Just this one sentence. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I want to read that again. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They were called Christians. Now, some of you are like, well, what's the big deal about that verse? The church was born in Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit descends, Peter preaches, 3,000, bam, come to Christ. We see Acts chapter 3, another 5,000 jump in. Or 2,000, I think. So it's 5,000 total. And then we see it spreading out. It's going just like Jesus said. This message of Jesus. This message that there was a man named Jesus who came, died, rose again, and ascended to the Father. And he is the God of creation. And he is the Lord of lords. And he is the Alpha and the Omega. And this message is going out. He died for your sins. And people are just gobbling this thing up. And this is the great thing about the book of Acts. It's so exciting. And just like Jesus said, it's going from Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's going all over the world, and it's even reached North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And this is what's happening. People who are following Jesus, the numbers spreading into cities like Antioch. And Antioch is a very un-Jewish town. And the reason why that's important is because you've got to remember that the Christian movement, this movement that we're part of, in its first 50 years, was pretty much made up of only Jews. You understand that? It was all a Jewish movement. That's all. They just considered it a part of the Jewish faith. And it starts moving out of Judaism and out of the Jewish roots. And it gets to cities like Antioch and Pisidia and, and Lydia and, and Lydda and all these different cities that have hardly any Jews in them. And the people in those cities are coming to Christ. And non-Jews are coming to Christ. Now the, now the Jesus movement is moving further beyond cultural boundaries. And they don't know what to call it. They're like, what do we come up with these? What do we, what do we call these people? They're not Jews anymore. They're not Jews who follow Jesus. They're, they keep talking about this guy named Jesus. And every time they say Jesus, they call him Christ. Is that his last name or what? Like, that's a preacher joke because his name is not Jesus Christ. Christ is a title, not a name. They're like, he's talking about Christ, so let's call them Christians. Christians, that sounds right. So they started calling. And, and you need to know this. The term Christian was a term that outsiders used for the people who were inside the movement. I want you to hear that again. The term Christian was a term that outsiders who weren't Christian used for the people who were inside the movement of Christians. And it's very important that you understand something. Christians were not called Christians by Christians for a long time. What is a Christian? What, 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 what? Let, let's, let's, let's think about this for a minute, okay? What is a Christian? Has anybody guessed that Christian has kind of become a watered-down term? Like, we, we, we see Christian used for so many different things. Christian has become an adjective. It's not even a noun anymore. It's, an a, it's a descriptive word of a noun. 
Because we, we, we Christians are a funny bunch. We'll have Christian music. No, 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 it's not music. It's Christian music. We'll, we'll have Christian coffee houses. You're going to go to the coffee house? No, it's a Christian coffee house. Christian concerts, Christian record labels, Christian businessmen, right? Christian everything, Christian bookstores. Christian, you know, it's, it's getting crazy, but we have Christian counselors. I got to go see a counselor. Make sure he's a Christian counselor, right? Christian cats and Christian dogs, Christian hamsters. I mean, it's getting crazy. We just like throw that label out there. Just, ah, it's Christian, it's Christian, it's Christian. And too many people think Christian is an adjective. Second thing that I found out in, in America is that Christian has become this default spirituality for a lot of people. Well, what are, what are, what's your faith? I'm Christian. What does that mean? I don't know. It means I go to church sometimes. <laughs> what's the church believe? I don't know. My mom went there. Right? It's like people just say, I'm not a Muslim. I know I'm not a Muslim. I know I'm not a Sikh. I know I'm not a Hindu. I know I don't think that Buddha dude is all that. So I guess, and I know there's a God. So I guess I'm a Christian. It's like default spirituality. It's like nobody ever really, and you have a lot of people like this in your life, and maybe you're one of them. You never really made a decision for Christ yourself. He's just going through life, and somebody asks you at some point, well, what do you believe? I guess I believe there's a lot of steeples in the town. I guess I believe like them. And that's it. And, and, and so for too many people, Christian has become this default spirituality. It, it, it's kind of like an oatmeal raisin cookie. <laughs> a lot of Christians are like oatmeal raisin cookies. Does anybody here like oatmeal raisin cookies? Okay, you people need Jesus. <laughs> you need salvation. So, somebody, needs to, somebody needs to introduce you to a chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> here's the thing about oatmeal raisin. Oatmeal raisin looks like a cookie. It's got the appearance of sweetness. It's got the appearance of joy. It's got the appearance of happiness. And then you bite in and it's like, ugh. <laughs> Has anybody ever had the chocolate chip oatmeal raisin juke happen in your life? Like you thought it was a chocolate chip cookie. You picked it up. You even smelt it to make sure. And you bit into it and you're like, what is this foulness that I just put into my mouth? Anybody done that? I've done it so many times. I just want to rebuke the spirit of oatmeal raisin from everybody. That thing's not a cookie. There's a lot of Christians that are like that. You look like a Christian. You do Christian things. You, people get close to you and they think you're a Christian. But when the insides are opened up, there's no Christian there. That's got to change. That's got to change. And the third category, I think, that we see in, in, in this term Christian, and if you watch movies and TV, <laughs> come on, you know this is true. Christians are judgmental, hypocritical, mean-spirited, homophobic jerks. Amen, somebody? That's, that's what you see in the movies and in the TVs, because movies tend to caricature certain segments of our population, and so they've chosen this caricature for Christians. And watch this. Just watch this. 
Watch movies and see who, what is the faith of the bad guy. Shawshank Redemption, anybody? The prison warden is the biggest jerk you ever met. And what is he? Bible-thumping Christian. And, and th this is what you see. And so these, listen, these are the definitions of Christian that we see happening in our world. And I want to challenge you something with something that might shock you. Okay, but Jesus never told us to be Christian. In fact, Jesus never even used the word Christian. Some of you don't, don't even realize that's true. That's true. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the first chapter of Acts. You'll never hear Jesus say, I want you to be Christian. We need to redefine ourselves. We need to rethink this term that we've kind of plastered over the world and over ourselves because it's not what you find in the Bible. In the history of the Bible, in the history of the early church, you won't find this much in the New Testament, but you'll find it in extra-biblical sources. Christian was a mocking term. It was a nickname that they gave to these followers of Jesus that was actually meant to humiliate them. It, it, was, it was meant to deride them. They, oh, they're Christian. They're little Jesuses. That's who they are. It was, a joke. it was a nickname. Have you ever had a nickname somebody gave you, and you hated the nickname, but you knew that if you made a big deal out of the nickname... You'd never live the nickname down. Anybody ever do that? We had a kid in my soccer team. Um, I wasn't on the soccer team. I heard this in my high school. And for initiation, he was a freshman on the soccer team. And for initiation, the older members of the soccer team, this is totally juvenile stuff, so I, I warn you, to initiate this poor kid onto the team, they tied him to one of the goalposts, and they took turns peeing on him. It was awful, I know. You know what we called that kid for the rest of his high school days? Pee-pee. Just a mocking nickname that he got, and then he just, he just accepted. I always wondered, why do you let people call you that? And I think it's because he just never wanted anybody to just make a big deal out of it, so he just accepted it. That's kind of what the term Christian was all about. It was a mocking term that became. It became something that we just accepted. And, that's, and, and, and it's so important to understand, because for the first 180 years of Christian history, we weren't called Christians by ourselves. We would, they would show up in 80, 90 A.D. or 100 A.D. They would show up in their gatherings, and they would never say, hey, I got a great counselor for you. Oh, is it a Christian counselor? They would never say something like that. Hey, I'm going to the concert at the Coliseum this weekend. You want to come with me? Is it a Christian concert? They would never have said that. They never called themselves that. It was not their calling. In, 2000, in uh, about 180 A.D., a man named Ignatius, a church father, decided that he would accept that term and used it to instruct the church. So for 180 years, I want you to think about that. That's like twice the lifetime of an, of an average American, more than that. For 180 years of this movement, we were never calling ourselves Christians. So what did we call ourselves? Well, good news is we got the New Testament. And the New Testament was written by people who were there before 180 AD. And so you can actually find out what the early church called themselves. And I got three names for you, four names for you, and we'll go through them real quickly. But the first name that they called themselves, if you're taking notes, is this. They called themselves saints. They called themselves saints 61 times in the New Testament. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, to those in Rome, notice he doesn't say to the Christians in Rome, he says to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be what? Saints. What is a saint? This is a very misunderstood term in the Christian world, in the church. What is a saint? Some people believe that a saint is a dead person that's on a window or on a wall or on a mural. And that might be true. They, might, they may have been saints. God only knows their heart. But that, that's not the totality of that term. Saint comes from the Latin sanctus. Sanctus means holy. That's all that that word means. In other words, Paul's saying to, the, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be holy. Did you know that that's your calling? That if you're in this movement, if you're following Jesus, you are called to be holy. Now, some people struggle with that. And some people, you die when someone calls you a saint because you think, I am no saint. You don't know my history. And that's right. You weren't a saint based on what you did. You're a saint based on what Jesus did and your acceptance of his work. You are, this is how the Bible says it, that we are made holy. We don't earn holy. We are made, we are transferred from darkness into light. We are made holy through faith in Jesus Christ and all of our sins are washed away and all of our slime and muck and grime from this world is washed. And when God sees us, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. He doesn't see what you did. He doesn't see what you were called. He sees Jesus in you. This is good. This is good stuff to know because some of you struggle with this. Saint, but listen, at some point, somebody's going to call you like they see you. Or you'll never get to what you're supposed to be. I'll never forget when, when I felt like I was supposed to be a preacher and I struggled with it for so long. And then one pastor came up to me and he said, I don't know how to say this, but I see preacher all over you. Can I tell you, once somebody called me that, it was like a license to finally be it. Like, you people need to stop calling yourselves sinners. Are you a sinner? Yeah, you sin, but you're a saint first. You're a saint and you got to start seeing yourself like it. If you always see yourself as a sinner, guess what sinners do? Good, very good. They sin. And, 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 and saints, they start doing saintly stuff. Amen, somebody? You're, call, you're called to be a saint. In Corinthians, Paul says to the church of God in Corinth, to those, and this is him opening his letter to the Corinthians, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, first off, that's actually two words. They're very similar in meaning, though. Sanctified in Christ, made holy, called to be holy, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you say, well, what's, what's, what's the big deal about this? He's writing to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were one of the, one of the worst churches in the New Testament. These people were jacked up. You read the book of Corinthians and you're like, what? They had sexual morality. They had lying. They, had, they were divisive. They were divided. Uh, they were abusive of spiritual gifts. 
They had forgotten the gospel. They, re they rejected Paul's authority. They, they, they were worldly and immature. Paul actually says, I can't even address you as, 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 uh, as I should. I need to call you worldly because that's what you are. And he says, here's why you're worldly, because there's jealousy in you, and there's factions in you, and there's divisions in you. And he has to start reprimanding them. But he opens the letter by reminding them, this is who you are by definition according to the grace of God. You need to remember that so that you can become what he's made you to be. So the second term, though, that the early church called themselves instead of Christians, they would call themselves the church. The church is used 109 times in the New Testament. By the way, Christian is only used three times in the entire New Testament. But 109 times we're called the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Christ gave himself for the church. In 1 Timothy 3.15, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Philemon, Paul writes, he says, to the church that meets in your house. By the way, that's how you know that the church is not a building. Because if it was a building, how could a building meet in a house? The people are the church. We are the church. I want you to say it with me. I am part of the church. Before you are called a Christian, you were called a church. Now, this is a very, very deep word in the Greek. The word in the Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek originally, and the word for church in, in the Greek is ekklesia. Ekklesia, it's a big word in the Greek. Very, very deep, rich world. What it literally meant those day, in those days was just gathering, an assembly. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that you can't possibly call yourself a Christian and not gather with other Christians. Hello. <laughs> that the name that they called themselves were originally called the gathering. The Jesus gathering. That, hear me, we come from North Atterburn, Atterborough, and Cumberland, and Norton, and Mansfield, and all these towns, but we gather together, and when we gather, God meets with us in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus Christ, and we're not just in the presence of each other, but we're in the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what we are. We're the assembled body of Christ. Listen to me very carefully. Most of the yous the, the pronoun you in the New Testament letters is plural. It's plural. That means that when you read the scriptures in the New Testament, you've got to stop thinking it's only applying to you singular. Like, I, I'm going to blow one of your favorite verses away. I'm sorry to do this, but I'm just going to blow it right off the refrigerator. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete until the day of Christ Jesus. Some of you love that verse. Oh, I love that verse. I love that verse. Philippians 1, 6. One ver wonderful verse. It's a plural. You. He's saying to you, church, you, the church, together, corporately, God began a work, and he's going to bring it to completion corporately in Christ. That's the promise. The promise isn't just so you can be a big star and be a dreamer and have all your dreams come true in Jesus' name. And one day, one day, maybe you'll be in the final 12 of American Idol. <laughs> right? That's not the promise of Scripture. The promise of Scripture is together we become what God wants us to become together. 
This is why some of your prayers, God says no. Because if I give that to you, it might do damage to your brother and sister. So stop praying to win the lottery. Amen. Okay. <laughs> um, and that brings me to number three. The third term that they used for each other was brother or sister. Brother or sister. 350 times in the New Testament we're called brothers or sisters. What's the point? The point is very clear. We're close. The reason why I want you to gather in small group is because you've got to get with family. Here's what Jesus said about brothers and sisters, about, about the church. He said that whoever does the will of my of the will of God. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, don't define me by who I am patriarchally or, or matriarchally. Define me by who is in my church. I want to say something to some of you that might rub you the wrong way, but the relationships that you have with Christians or followers of Jesus, they should supersede the relationships you have with relatives. Now, if your relatives are saved, that's good too. That's, that's wonderful. You're not only just blood relatives, now you're blood of Jesus relatives. But listen, blood relatives should never supersede blood of Jesus relatives. And this is hard. This is hard for some, especially us New Englanders, where we come from, you know, fifth generation grandma who's been in the same house and great grandma and all. And, and you know, that, my family, are you kidding me? Listen, 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 listen. Christ has, has taken all the families of the world and created a new one, a spiritual family. But my relationship to my brothers and sisters in Christ are stronger. So, so when I need advice about marriage, I don't go to my sister who's been divorced three times. <laughs> I go to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to find out what they think. So, so when somebody in the church tells me, hey, 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 I, I got to tell you, I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to sting a little bit, and I, it's hard for me to tell you this, but you're kind of a jerk. <laughs> I don't sit there and say, how dare you? I listen because we're family. And that's the kind of stuff we should see happening. We're brothers, we're sisters. Hey, sometimes families fight, Right? Sometimes, anybody here, you're not going to raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I don't want anybody to raise your hand. Anybody here have one of those knockout, dragout fights with your family, and afterwards, what happened? A couple weeks went by, you're just happy again, and you're loving on each other again, and you're calling each other. <laughs> That's what families do. It's like the, the thing that the devil wants to do to you, though, is he wants you to have one of those bad fights with a Christian and drive an eternal wedge. You think, I can never go back to that church. I can never be part of that again. Yes, you can. Don't limit what the blood of Jesus Christ is able to do. He'll bring it back together. Grace should be our greatest weapon. Grace to say, I blew it, but man, I need to come back. Yes, you're welcome. Come on back. We love you. Amen, somebody? Um, so they called them saints. They called them brothers and sisters, and they called them the church. But did you know? that there was a term that Jesus used more than anything. There was a term that Jesus used more than any other term to call his followers. You know what it was? Number four, if you're taking notes, disciples. 
I want to challenge you to stop being a Christian and start being a disciple. Because a Christian can be anything. In fact, how many, this is true. You can't get elected president of the United States without calling yourself a Christian. And it doesn't even matter what you do. You can do all kinds of non-Christian things. As long as you say, right? As long as you say you're a Christian, then you get elected. But listen to me. Because in this world, it's become so watered down what a Christian is. I think that we, Waters Church, we need to get back to being what Jesus calls us, and that's disciples. You say, well, what does that mean? All right, Matthew chapter 4, and then, and we're almost done, I promise. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Here's when, he, here's when Jesus called his disciples. Here's when he called them. He picked them up. It says in verse 18, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Can we say that all together? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Here's what discipleship is according to the definition of Jesus, because Jesus never once defined what a Christian was, but he defined what a disciple was all the time. First thing a disciple does, he follows Jesus. All right, let me break this down for you, because it's real easy. It's real easy. Here's what follow me means. Here's what follow Jesus means. Ready? Just come. Just come. And just come as you are. <laughs> you, you, you got problems? Come. You got a history? Come. You don't believe in Jesus yet? Come. You haven't ever been in a church? Come. Just come. Just come. All that, all that this requires, all that follow me is, this is stage one, all that it requires is this, time and attention. So you say, all right, I'm going to come, I'm going to show up, see what happens. I don't know about small group, I don't know if I should do it, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Come. I don't know if I can come every week, well, come when you can. Well, what, what, what are you going to say to me? Nothing, unless you want us to. How much money are you going to ask of me? None. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we don't want any of your money. If you're not a, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a, a, a converted person, you, we don't want any. And by the way, listen, if you're, just, if you're just checking Jesus out, and you're just listening to what Jesus has to say, and you're in stage one, we have no right to judge you. We don't have no right. We have no spiritual, biblical authority to tell you to stop doing stuff. All we're here to do is introduce you to Jesus. All right? That's stage one. Just come. Time and attention. Give your weekends to Jesus. Give some time to Jesus. Uh, Jesus asked ta Matthew the tax collector, just come. Tax collectors were hated. They were vilified. They were the most worst uh, Jews imaginable. And Jesus says, hey, Matthew, come. Come as you are. You say, I'm not sure if I believe all this. Good. Where else should you struggle with this? I don't know if I believe. Well, <laughs> this is the place to do that, right? I would rather have you struggle with belief here than in the bar. <laughs> Amen. 
Some of you, this is what you're doing. You're just kicking the tires of Christianity. You're just like, I don't know. Is that going to work? I don't know if that's going to work. I, what about the dinosaurs? And what about the old earth and the young earth? And what about creation, evolution, and all these political things, and the Democrats and the Republicans? And I don't know if this is, what is this? Just come. Follow. You don't even, and, and I want to just make, make sure we're clear on something. Just because, you're, just because you're coming doesn't mean that you've been converted and you're going to heaven, <laughs> okay? I just think that needs to be clear because some of you, that's where you're at. You're just coming. And I don't want you to be under the false impression that you're saved because you're not. If you haven't committed your, your, your choices and your, your, your life to Jesus, that, you're not going to heaven. I'm just telling you. I'm just being honest. I love you. I want you to get there. But all I really want you to do right now is just come and listen time and attention. Number two, stage two is this, and I will make you. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you. This is when you get saved. When you take your hands off the steering wheel and you let God have his way with you. Now, I got I to warn you, it's uncomfortable. It's going to stink sometimes. But this is true discipleship. Um, the two things that are required here, two things that are required, you're taking notes, learning and applying. All you, needed was, all you needed was time and attention. Now you actually need to do something. All right, Jesus said it like this. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if, listen to this big if, if you abide in my word, you are truly my what? If you abide in my word, what does that mean, abide? It means this. It could be said like this. If you live according to my teaching, if you do what I'm telling you to do, then you are disciples. <clears throat> and it's confusing and it's tough and it's hard, but I'm telling you something, there's no other way to live. See, see you're, you're a disciple. You're in stage two. This is happening to you on a regular basis. You come to church and pastor preaches something and you're like, I'm not doing that. Ah, oh, I need to start doing that. See, that's stage two. Stage one is, I'm not doing that, and I'm not doing that. See ya. See you next week. <laughs> All right, but, but stage two is, I need to start. Here's what Jesus said about forgiving. I need to start doing that. Here's what Jesus said about loving people who don't like you. I need to start doing that. Here's what Jesus said about being poor in spirit. Here's what, Jesus said about, here's what Jesus said about people who don't know Jesus. I need to start telling somebody about Jesus. I need to start doing that. Here's what Jesus said about money. I don't like that one at all. And it's okay to not like it. But you need to start doing it. Here's what Jesus said about your heart. You need to start doing it. Learning and applying, learning and applying, learning and applying. It's like Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> you remember Mr. Miyagi? Just wax and wash my cars and paint the fence, right? And paint the house. And he was like, I'm fed up. What is this? This is nonsense. It's stupid. And he goes, wax on, wax off. Hiya! You're like, ah, 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 wah, 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 you know? <laughs> remember that? 
He's like, oh, that's why I do it. That's why, so I can win the championship. Now I get, listen, Jesus wants you to win the championship. He wants you to get a crown of glory and you're only gonna get it if you start doing what he tells you to do. Do it. Here's what Paul says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That, you, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Look at these two words. Renewal, that's learning. And testing, that's applying. Test it. Amen. Third, lastly, follow me, stage one. I will make you, stage two, fishers of men, stage three. Every disciple should be making disciples. Every disciple should be making disciples. Now, here's where we are failing as a church, and I have no problem telling you that. Because when 25% of us are engaged in small group, we're not doing it. And there are things in your life that other people need to hear. There are testimonies of what God has done in you, in your marriage. Some young people need to hear that. Now, if you're in a small group, look, if you're in a small group, or you tried small group, and you kind of like distanced yourself, and you're not because it was like weird, or it was uncomfortable, or you weren't clicking with that small group, change. I give you full permission. Find a different one. But just because you got into one that wasn't clicking with you, don't give up on this. Try another one. There's lots of them. And there are people here, you're a disciple maker, and you're just automatic right now through life. You're just kind of like coming to the services, and your thumb, that's all that's engaged. <laughs> it's like, come on. We need you. Here's what he says in Hebrews. Uh, by the way, two things that this requires is awareness and effort. Awareness and effort, that, that you're aware, and hopefully, hopefully you are now, you're aware that you are supposed to be discipling other people. Here's what Jesus told me to do. Here's when I did it, okay? Here's how you can do it. Okay, look, please just bear with me for one moment. I, I promise I'm closing. Okay, listen, listen. When it comes to discipleship, it's not giving people what you think they should do. Are we clear with that? <laughs> like, like... Well, I saw this on TBN. Okay, stop. <laughs> what, did you, what, what did you do that Jesus told you to do? Because you found it in Jesus' words, and you did it. All right, so we're not there to debate politics. We're not there to talk about evolution, creationism, all that junk. We're not there to debate. We're there to help each other do what Jesus did. That's discipleship. That's what we're called to do. Here's what he says to, he, to the Hebrews, uh, chapter 5, verse 12. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. You've been, you, you've been believers for so long that you should be teaching other people. But here's what he says. He says, I've got a problem. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. 
You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. And then he goes on and he says, well, what's the difference between a baby and a growing up Christian? Here's the difference between a baby and a growing up Christian. A baby still needs somebody to tell them what to do. And a grown up Christian has already found out how it works when they do it. He says that by testing, they have learned to discern the voice of God, and they start putting it into practice. They become more like Christ. Look, I'm serious about this, Waters Church. I'm so serious about this. I hope you hear my heart today and not just a sermon. Because I want us to disciple each other. I want our church to grow numerically, but I want us to grow spiritually. And I want to see you, you, live up to your full potential in Christ and influence hundreds of people for the gospel. So, we gave you a survey. Like I said, stop ignoring it now. <laughs> I want you to ask yourself, please, don't, you don't have to put your name on it, but if you want to put your name on it, feel free. Uh, where are you? Just check one box. And on your way out, there's going to be people at that glass door and that glass door. And you just fold it up and you just drop it. Please, please give it back to us. We want to find out from you. We want to know where you are. How can we know if we're doing a good job if, if we don't know where you're at? I'm listening and I'm learning. That's stage one. That's maybe where some of you are at. I'm just following. I'm just checking things out. Uh, number two, I'm in the process of discipleship, regularly being challenged to change. That's where I'm at. I've, I've received Christ, and that's where I'm at. Number three, I'm passing it on, leading someone else in the ways of Jesus. And number four, I'm not passing it on, but now I know I need to start. Would you stand with me?